Hi, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so glad you're here today. Today, my guest is Velvet Schmitz. She is the CEO of Hire Better. Hire Better is an award-winning strategic talent partner for entrepreneurial, growth-minded, middle market companies that need the right solutions to thrive and scale. It's recognized as by Forbes as one of America's best executive recruiting firms. And Velvet was just recently named CEO. She came up through the organization, which she talks about in the episode. Velvet's philosophy on leadership is truly amazing. This interview is so inspiring. We talk about what it's like to become a leader, how to get better at asking for and receiving feedback. And she also talks about her journey with mental health. And I couldn't help but get tears in my eyes at the end of the interview where she shares a deeply personal story that will absolutely impact you and I think make you appreciate the journey that many, many people are on as we struggle with mental health. I can't wait for you to meet her. I know you're going to love her as much as I do. So hang tight and I'll be right back with Velvet. All right, everybody, I am back with my beautiful, beautiful friend, Velvet Schmidt. Velvet, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's my pleasure and honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So in your own words, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Well, I am a fierce lover of people, nature, and fun adventures. Uh, good food as well. I can't leave that out. Uh, I, I think that my story really starts with the incredible mother that I had growing up. Uh, I was raised by a single woman who uh, taught me lots of important lessons, uh, specifically believing in myself. And I think that because I had her support and because of the way she modeled those things, I have been the beneficiary of an incredible adventure, not just in life, but professionally. And so I think that today I stand as a culmination of all of the people who have come in and out of my life and with a good foundation from a very strong woman. And so uh, I'm sure we'll dive into what that circuitous path has been. Uh, but I would say somebody said to me, gosh, this was probably two days ago, said, gosh, I've known you for decades. And I feel like each decade you have evolved and changed and it's getting for the better. So look out world, because when I'm older, oh my gosh, imagine. <laughs> well, that's how it should be, right? We should be evolving instead of devolving, although I don't know that uh, everybody is doing that. But, uh, but it's like fine wine, right? We, sh we should be getting better with age. <laughs> it does take courage. And I think it, there's, there's a level at which we can all get comfortable who we are, where we are, and stop. But it does take courage to say, hold on, I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to learn. And the courage sometimes is having people who you respect and love say to you, hey, you need to change this. That's a, that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. And so have you had that? Have you had that kind of feedback before? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> in many ways. And I think uh, I'm, I'm not one for subtleties. I'm, I like direct feedback. I like when someone points something out. Um, it started in elementary school. Uh, a boy had a crush on me. He thought it was blatantly obvious at the end of the year. He was disappointed. And he said, I've had a crush on you all year. And I thought, 
why didn't you say that? And he said, well, I always played Foursquare with you or I always, and I was like, yeah, because I thought we were buds. So uh, since then, I've known that I need direct feedback and I've had, I have asked for it and I have been given unsolicited. So uh, what I will say is throughout the journey in both education, coaches, I've been a lifelong athlete. Um, I've received really good feedback that sometimes has stopped me in my tracks. And so um, I had a coach once who said, you have a lot of energy. It's great. And you don't realize how much of a leader you are. So when you distract us, you distract the whole team. Shut up. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, that feedback was really interesting in that what I heard there is you don't understand how powerful of a leader you are. I know she wanted me to be quicker on the uptake of be quiet, but I started to think, wow, I'm influencing, I'm, I'm, I'm doing something. Also, uh, I had a teacher years ago, uh, I started practicing meditation almost 18 years ago now. And in the beginning, uh, I wasn't listening. I was doing too much of the talking and she shared the power of listening. And that changed almost everything about how I am with people and in, in spaces that I uh, walk into or am a part of. And, you know, I think one of the biggest things have also been those bosses that we've had along the way who may have been a good boss, but really the powerful ones are the ones that you feel like, I never want to be that kind of boss. And when you turn and look at that, the kind of feedback they gave you is so priceless because there's a way that you tell somebody when they need to improve. Uh, and there's a way that you don't. And there are ways that you exert lessons and how you teach someone something in a way that you don't. And that also has been powerful feedback. So as uh, the research from Carol Dweck says, right, a growth mindset is key. I have that. And part of my growth mindset is I, I'm not done learning. So good feedback. I, I like feedback in every sense of the word. And so I, I believe in even when it's been harsh, it's been good. The biggest gifts I've ever been given in my leadership career are have been those moments of really tough feedback. You know, the, much like you, where it has profoundly changed the way that I show up when it was like, ooh, you know, I, I didn't see myself through that lens, but I really understand how other people do and that is not effective. And, and so when you're willing to hear it and take action, you know, it, it has led to so, it has led to me, led me to being so much more effective than I ever was before. But boy, it stings sometimes, that's for sure. <laughs> Has it affected you, for instance, if, if it's someone that you respect highly versus someone that you may not respect? Has Have you received the feedback differently coming from those two? Absolutely. I think feedback from people who don't know me hurts worse. Um, oh. I know, which is really interesting because <laughs> it's hard to not get defensive with like, you know, <laughs> you don't know me. Um, you know, I do, obviously I do a lot of stuff out there. I'm, you know, in my, my industry, I'm pretty public and, uh, and I'm not afraid to put my ideas out there. And when somebody trolls and says something that, you know, is meant to hurt you, um, you know, I always try to take it as, okay, what can I learn from this? Is there something to learn from it and a better way to communicate my message or to make sure I'm challenging my own ideas with this? But those are the things like I, the, that like it really stings. It's like this person doesn't even know, know me. And they're just saying all yeah. this stuff about me. They have no idea. Yeah. And that's where I find myself getting more defensive. 
Um, but it's not helpful, right? That's not right. helpful feedback. The helpful feedback right. always comes from those people who do know you, who, who say, I care enough about you to give you this feedback. I tend to lean into that a lot better. Well, How this is so stage what you're saying right now, because when you look at where we are today with access to our private lives, and the way that we are public, even in a non-traditional way, that how people used to be public. So, for instance, a generation before us, you had the ability that the people who gave you feedback were the people who knew you because they were interacting with you and hence the feedback. We are now so public that I think part of what I try to espouse to my children is you're out there and a lot of the people who you are connected with don't know you. They think they know you and we trick ourselves into knowing people. And so that is a critical thing to remember that I think as we continue to evolve in our careers and our personal ideas and brands, we have to be careful because we're out there. And oftentimes, I mean, I, I can trick myself into thinking I know people, but it's just because I've, I've been exposed to their content. I've read their books. I'm, and so that, that's not the same. That's such a, that's such a good distinction. And one I suspect will be hard to learn, particularly with generations who have only been with technology and social media and public access to everything. Well, and this is so true because even when we do know people in a more intimate level, we still don't really know them, right? We only only know those parts of them that they're willing to share. And obviously with social media and putting yourself out there, right? That's that's curated. Everybody puts something on social media for a reason, right? There is an agenda yeah. out there. Um, but it's still the same thing in these personal interactions and, and, and you know, the willingness to go deep and what you really actually share about yourself. And, um, but people don't know how to, we all look through the world through our own lenses and we mm-hmm. tend to, you know, put that filter onto other people. Well, if I feel this way, they must feel that way too. Or I would feel this way about that situation. So they must too. But, you know, that's human existence is it's so interesting because we're so interconnected and it can be so fulfilling. But at the same time, it's such a lonely existence because no one can really know us inside like we can know ourselves. That's some profound knowledge right there. (laughs) With true lived experience. Yeah, exactly. It's like, why can't you read my mind? Well, nobody can. (laughs) (laughs) If only we knew that when we were younger. I know, right? And that's why it's so important to just say what you think. I just had this conversation with my son. Um, He had this blow up um, over a girl and he was trying to figure out what to do. He's 10 years old, right? So he's like navigating this whole confusing world of just starting to, to like girls. And, uh, and I said, you know, he's like, she, this is what she thinks. I was like, I can promise you that's probably not what she thinks and you don't have any idea. And so, you know, if you want to have this conversation with her and you want to know, you need to have it. You need to ask because you can make an assumption that is incorrect. And he's like, I can't do that. There's no possible way. And it's so like visceral and real for a 10 year old, but let's face it. Like most of us are like that, right? Most of us don't know. And a lot of us are afraid to ask or afraid to say, this is what I need right now. This is what I'm thinking right now in fear of rejection or being made fun of or, or whatever those reasons are. And yet fundamentally, that is how communication occurs. We cannot make a conclusion or jump to a conclusion about what the other person is thinking. We need to ask. We need to be curious. We need to inquire. And those are key things. I mean, going back to your initial question about 
getting to leadership and how do you get here? That, that powerful idea of listening and contributing and being present in that moment. So you're actually listening to what is being said, not jumping to a conclusion. That's so key. Every single person needs to take that advice, right? How often do we find ourselves in bad situations because we jump to a conclusion? Exactly. Just ask. Just ask. We don't know. I <laughs> seek to understand it. something that we use at Stone Age. Um, uh, it, 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 and I hear it you know, multiple times each day. I'm seeking to understand. I'm seeking to understand. Like, do not jump to conclusions. You are going to be wrong, <laughs> you know, in part or wholly. So seek to understand. Be curious. Ask questions. What a wonderful gift that you have given your colleagues and teammates by having that as one of your values. If you're seeking to understand, we could really take that in so many ways. I, you know, part of, I know that you know this, uh, part of my life is in public office and that arena really needs a seek to understand mentality. And if we went into all areas with that curiosity and true desire to seek to understand, imagine what we could do uh change the world <laughs> <laughs> truly truly honestly and that it doesn't even sound audacious it actually sounds like we can do that uh, we we totally can we have everybody out there has the power to change the situation that we're in if we like get out of like this like lower like rung thinking like how tim urban calls it right low rung thinking um, and, and appeal more to our, our higher selves with that seek to understand and be curious and communicate and don't jump to conclusions and don't assume that, you know, people and quit putting everybody in these big, huge boxes that none of us belong in. Um, we could solve this and every single person can affect what's going on right now. If they just said, I am not going to be part of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. Again, really, everyone should listen to that advice. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about you. Um, I want to go into being mayor of a community during COVID, which is crazy. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about what you're doing first, because you just recently were promoted into CEO of your company. So can you talk a little bit about what you do and and what that's like and and how are you excited to be back in the in the CEO role again? Share some of that. Yeah. All of those things. So first, I'm I'm incredibly grateful to our our board and our founder for the trust in me to to help me be at the helm of an incredible team. We are our company is hire better, and much like it says, we try and help you hire better. One of the things that I didn't grow up in recruitment, and when I came to hire better almost two years ago, I discovered how impactful and powerful this is. And on a daily basis, we are helping people build their companies. We are helping individuals change their career trajectories. And we're right in the middle of what is an amazing process of bringing good people together to build great companies. That is our mission, by the way, which has been such a great uh, framework for how we do things. And so I'm I'm really proud of, of this team. I'm proud to lead the team. It feels like an honor. And it's also one of those things that um, whether you have done something in the past or you're doing it for the first time, if you remember that in this moment, this is the first time you're doing this, it is always a beginner's mind. And that part is awesome. So uh, as I've started to 
reacquaint myself with all parts of the business. You know, as a CEO, you lead many things and you need to understand what everyone's doing to be able to support them and then give them agency to do their job. And I went on a learning tour and, and reacquainting myself. One, I forgot how much I love Excel and spreadsheets. I was sitting with my financial analyst and I thought, oh, remember the day of Excel. That was great. I also had the privilege of sitting with our CMO and going through branding and voice and how exciting that is. And one of the things that I think we forget when we lead is we have the privilege of an insight to every part of our company. And that is super cool. Uh, of course, there are things that come with it where you are the leader and, and you're at the helm. And that reminding myself that I don't know what I don't know. And I need to educate. I need to understand. Those are things that I'm, I'm reminded of and I'm loving being back in it. You know that uh, I think, you know, there's something about women leaders and the way that we lead that is really of, it's just so poignant right now and during this time. And those skills, which we have innately, are just shining through. So I'm rediscovering a lot of things. I am also discovering new things. And with the mindset of, I'm always a beginner. I'm hoping that I'm creating space and agency. And what I am seeing is a team rising. People are taking ownership and, and really showing that they are the subject matter expert over their line of business or whatever they're responsible for and delivery. And I'm having people show up in ways that, I don't know if this is my purview. And I actually just told a team member today, this is all our purview. We all need to be taking ownership and agency. So I've enjoyed coming back to the seat. And, you know, as uh, my partner fondly likes to say, he always says, you can't ever be a member of anything. You always have to be the president. So um, I generally gravitate to leadership roles. I'm very comfortable in them. And of course, I always end up being uh, the president of things, whatever organization I choose to to find. And I think um, I have enough humility. Hopefully last round I did. I know I do this time to know this is not something that we do alone. We rise because our teams help us rise. We look good because our teams look good. And understanding that they are the full team helps us all accomplish what we're doing. And so uh, I've had the benefit of also sitting in the seats. I've gone back to do some of the work myself. I do believe as a leader that if I ask you to do something, I should be willing to do it. So a, a week ago, I actually acted as a recruiter. I went in, I negotiated a package. Uh, so I worked with a CEO in hiring their CPO and I was in the middle. And let me tell you, it was nerve wracking. It was, there were highs, there were lows. I mean, this was like... Uh, you know, the, the old uh, ABC sports when it used to say the triumph of victory and the agony of defeat. I really felt that. And I thought, I don't really when you're on the front line of things. And so uh, one of the reasons that I am proud to be CEO of Hire Better and that I am extremely proud to be associated with our founder is that we, we live our values of human to human. We want to humanize the recruitment industry. And in a lot of ways, it has become easy to take the human part out of things. Yes, we use technology. We use AI. We do lots of things that differentiate us. And I think our biggest differentiator is that we realize on every part of our journey, there is a human involved and we want people to feel seen and heard and appreciated. And that differentiator endears us to our clients, to our partners, 
to our vendors. We don't treat anyone differently. We want to make sure that they know we respect them, we appreciate them, and we honor them. And that helps create such an incredible ecosystem where we all come together and, and help one another. So thus far, I know that sounds very glorious. There are tough days. We have to make tough decisions, but I, I'm enjoying being back in the seat. You came up through the organization, right? You were uh, in mm -hmm. sales. So mm -hmm. um, what was that like Come going from, you know, part of the executive management team to now leading the executive management team? Um, I was, I, I, you know, I was promoted through my organization as well. It was a long time ago. And I remember some of those like visceral things of like, oh, you know, now the person who, you know, was my peer now reports to me. How has that transition gone and how have, what have you done to, you know, to, to make that go as smooth as possible? Uh, I want to be very grateful and honest about the grace I have been given. I think uh, along the way, yes, I came in through business development and uh, my colleagues became the people who reported to me and along all the way up. They have been incredibly gracious. I like to think that they appreciate the way that I lead, which is through collaboration. Uh, I love bringing the best in people out and showing them that they can do it. And so I'm a very direct person as well. And I think in, in the first instance, I started with someone literally the same day and we uh, advanced, I advanced to different positions and they didn't. And I never lost sight that what that might feel like when you come, everything equal, right? How does that feel when one of you rises and the other doesn't? And I never took it as anything other than I am being asked to take these responsibilities and how can I help support you in what you're doing and understand that the relationship is changing. I've always been an advocate for anyone that I have managed across the board. We manage up and down and there's much agency in, in the people I oversee as in the people who oversee me. And so I've really tried to be very truthful, forthright, and candid. I believe that information is powerful, and so I don't hold back. And I think that that directness, that authenticity uh, is really important in creating those relationships. And I've had really good relationships. So I'm proud to say everyone along the way who was a colleague before or an equal and a peer who now reports to me or reported to me along the way, we've built great relationships. And that that's really been the validation that I need that what I'm doing is right. And I've also created space for feedback when someone says, this is really awkward for me and I need some time or I'm going to need X, Y, Z. I try to listen and where I disagree, share my disagreement and why that won't happen, but also allow the room for, sure, we can make this happen. And then as an aside, I am quick to apologize. I know firsthand that I'm going to muck things up every which way to Sunday. And I'm the first to say, oh, my bad. Shouldn't have done that. Let's fix it. So I think that also creates some space for people to be open and, and, and say, hey, this is a little wonky for me. And I think that's hard for people, right? You came up in the organization and you know, there are times that some of those hurdles are insurmountable. And when you can't, you just can't. And you have to make peace with that. Uh, I also think that surrounding yourself with a good, strong community of peers and bouncing ideas off of individuals 
Um, I consider you one of them and I'm honored that you're that peer. And it's been great when we've had conversations where I can say, what do you think about this? And how mm -hmm. should we? And have you seen this? And having someone say, have you thought about this? And yep. that is difficult. I've seen that. So, yep. I had a really tough employee who just refused. He was like, nope, I work for the founder. And you would do things to, you know, undermine me personally. And, you know, I was so young and, and I didn't know what I was doing. And I'm trying to earn respect and, and fumbling along the way. Right before I had to let him go, we had made a decision as a company not to release a product. It wasn't ready yet. And we debated back and forth on the situation. And we said, nope, we're going to give it a couple more weeks, like, you know, another month and we'll be, we'll have everything ready and we can launch it. And everybody agreed. And he walked out and he literally like sold the product, got on the phone and sold the product. And that was like the red line for me. I was like, you know what? All this has been undermining my leadership and I've been trying to navigate it, but this undermined the company. And I had to let him go. And he had been with the company for over 20 years. And I'll never forget the fear people had of, because he was a, a very key member to our team of what are we going to do without him? Um, you know, people questioning it. And then we, once we made the decision and it all settled in like a week later, it was like, oh yeah, we've got this. But that was the biggest, that was such a, honestly, like it boosted my confidence so much because I was waning in my confidence of like, you know, he has been here longer than me. He certainly knows the industry better than me. Our customers love him. If I make this decision, everybody's going to hate me. Everybody's going to be mad at me. But boy, you made that make that tough decision. And it actually like helped me earn respect yep. in the long run because I was like, exactly. nope, we're not going to tolerate that. So anyway, you sharing all of that just like brought up that very visceral memory for me of having to make that tough decision and how hard it is to navigate, you know, people who, you know, maybe aren't 100% on board with it and are doing things even to kind of purposefully try to undermine you. How, how hard well, that can be. I lost a lot of sleep over it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And any time that you have to make a decision where you part with someone, I always yeah. tell any managers, if this is in a pit in, in your stomach, if this doesn't cause yeah. consternation, you're in the wrong business. This should yeah. always be something yeah. that you really, it weighs. I will also say, and you, I, I think we would be doing a disservice if we weren't honest about this. Leadership takes a lot of courage. You yes. have to be willing to put things on the line. Yep. And people often want the title, but they don't want the responsibilities yep. that come with it. And those two things, it is more important to understand the responsibility you bear than the fancy title that you think you're going to get. And it's not easy. It is not easy to make a decision that you know is tough. It's not easy to say, hey, am I really doing the right thing? And then do it. Those are very difficult things. And I, I want to make sure, yes, there's all the glory of leading, right? We know it, the, all the glory. And there, there are, you have to have the stomach for this. This isn't for the faint yeah. of heart and you have to have the conviction. And I think that those are, those are key moments for you, especially we have the fiduciary responsibility to take mm -hmm. care of an entire company, allowing something that goes against that would be wrong for us that that's not part of our job is to protect that and sometimes that means regardless of the length that someone has been there or what they have exhibited when that is put on the line 
no one person is more valuable than than the whole team. Yep, totally agree. Um, in my book, my got my book that's going to be coming out here in October uh, called The Ownership Mindset. Right, I talk about this. It's like you know, I I think because I was I was named a CEO named CEO at such a young age, um, way before I had any real business being named a CEO. Um, but I did, and thrown into it. Okay, let's figure it out. And um, and you know being willing to make those tough decisions and grow the company through 2009 downturn. There was an issue in 2014 with oil prices that affected our industry. I got, we got hacked COVID. Like there's just so many things that, that really challenge you. Um, But because I made such a fast leap to CEO, I was always like, if I can do it, anybody can. And Mm -hmm. I, um, I think that that was, you know, it's unfair. It was unfair for me to put it, the expectation that people could, you know, because I did it, people could make those leaps to that kind of executive leadership, being willing to make the tough decisions, having the courage, having the capability, having the gumption, having the vision, all those things that require being a CEO. And then it was also a disservice to myself, right? Because I also didn't necessarily value like like myself as much as I as as I should have in this journey. And you're so right, right? It is not easy to be a CEO. In fact, most CEOs do a really crappy job of being CEO. It's the toughest job on the planet. And, um, you know, as a whole, right? There's just nothing that's harder than than having the responsibility of people's livelihoods, of building a sustainable company and doing it in a way that builds people instead of tears people down. And, um, and so I have a I have a, a a ton of respect now for those people who have really excelled at it because it is it's yeah. so hard. Not everybody can do it. Well, and I'll tell you one of the benefits that I had uh, is that I I threw myself into leadership early on, yeah. and uh, I was always raising my hand in elementary school. I wanted to be the leader of whatever the thing was that was an option, and so uh, I remember. I was ASB president of my high school and uh, it was a couple of weeks into it. And I was talking to our advisor and he'd asked me a question about something. And I said, well, yes, we need to do that. And he said, well, that, that's your decision. And I had this moment where I saw, hold on a second. That's my, my decision who's going to affect every student here. Like that, that's my decision. Uh, he kind of looked at me like, yeah, duh. Uh, and in that moment, I realized, okay, that as the leader, that's what you do. And the the reason I think it see it felt like a gradual ascend for me, even though much like you, I've always been thrown into the things and then just figured it out, is because whether it was a school organization, captain of a sports team, being on the executive board of my sorority raising money in a 501c3, all the things, every position I came with the same package. You are the decision maker. This is where the buck stops. And at every stage, there were, there was dissension. There have always been every, for every decision I have made, there has been a group of people who have said, nope, disagree, don't want to comply, whatever. And I think we sometimes forget that that's part of the whole thing, that you have to have both sides of it and that you have to understand when there is an opposing view, you take time to understand it. And then you take a position to say, yes, and we're still doing this thing. Yeah. 
And here's why. And now it is my job to get buy-in. Yep. And that, those skills, I'm so grateful for the ability to have had that along the way because, you know, I, I can't quite remember what the decision was. It probably was like the theme of a dance or something like, you know, the things you do in high school, which at the end has very not that high stakes. <laughs> exactly. Low stakes to learn on. Uh, and really readied me for when I was in the room to make very difficult decisions that are high stakes that determine the future of people's careers, trajectories, business outcomes. Yeah, I think that decision-making piece is such a key component of this. So many people are afraid to make decisions, you know, afraid that the buck is going to stop with them. Or what if it's the wrong decision? And I like mm-hmm. every wrong decision I've made, I have learned so much from. Yes. I am grateful for them. Like there's nothing to fear in making a wrong decision. Now, not every organization has a culture where it's safe. And I get that. But but you are not going to learn as a leader and you're not going to earn that respect if you do not make decisions. And if it's the wrong decision or even if it was a good decision, it just didn't get the outcome that you were hoping for. Right. How are you going to handle it? How do you lead through it? How do you show up with with grace and and gratitude and grit to say, okay, here's how we're going to fix this. I just had this recently. Uh, we had um, a, a, an issue with uh, a trademark infringement, and um, and we made a wrong decision within the company. And my uh, uh, the the person on my executive team kind of oversaw it. He was beating himself up, um, and I said, "This is such a great opportunity. Yes, it's going to cost us some money, and that's not great. But how do we take this and make it?" Uh, make us a better company? How are you going to lead through it? How do you want people to experience you when you say, I screwed up, I didn't make a good decision, I didn't lead the way that I should have led through this? Like, it's a huge opportunity. So you can, I understand you're going to beat yourself up, but don't do that for too long, right? Let it go and use this as a gift to, to, to learn, to, to, to make yourself better, but also to make your team better. And he really embraced it. And I loved it. Uh, because, um, I think that he made a really big impact in, in how he showed up and how he handled himself through that, through that mistake and the poor decision that was made. And man, there's just so much more to learn from that. You know, he would have made the, okay, yes, that's great. It would have saved us a bunch of money, but there's, you miss out on this huge learning opportunity. And that's why I tell people who are so afraid to make mistakes, don't, (laughs) that is how you get better at being a leader. It's not about making every decision right. Absolutely. But Carrie, do you see the magic in that? That's why you are so timely as a leader now. And I will tell you, one of the things that I appreciate about COVID is that we were headed in this trajectory anyway, but it was not going to happen very quickly. And COVID accelerated. The type of leader that we need today is that type of leader. Someone who comes in and says to their executive team, Yes. And the important part is how do you show up now? You are modeling for people how you make this mistake. Yep. The, the freedom, the power that you gave this individual is incredible. And I'm so grateful that that type of leader, we are rising today because that's who we need. That yep. all You look around at companies that are successful and it's the leader who says to their team, yes, that was a mistake. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to model? How are we going to learn? And Imagine what that's done for everyone else around them yep. and the power that you have created and how that catapults you. And by the way, 
the biggest killer of innovation is fear of making a mistake. And if you can create a space where that's embraced, where that is learned from, where you can grow, that's amazing. And I think that type of leader is what what is required today and not everybody has that. So that's that's incredible. You should be well, very proud of yourself for that. We're all role modeling, right? If we're all role modeling, whether in a positive way or a negative way. And that's what I say is like, how do I do this in a positive way? How do I help other people learn how to do this in a positive way? Because we're always modeling, the, you know, and, and our people are going to follow uh, the behaviors that we exhibit. And so always do the right thing. Always show up with humility. Always own it. Always lead to teach other people. Here's how you can handle the mistakes that you will inevitably make in your future. So it's just part of the responsibility that we have as leaders. But you're right. Not everybody leans into that responsibility um, quite so, so hard. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, to, to touch a little bit on what you said, uh, I was mayor in 2020. Yeah. And I have the good fortune of being mayor again starting in December for 24. Uh, I'm currently the mayor pro tem. That year was one of the hardest years. I, I don't think I have ever worked that hard. And it was one of the most amazing years. Uh, I can't tell you how impressed I am with our city staff. Those individuals, what they did, how we collaborated, and how we led through the pandemic was really amazing. Uh, we were probably working 100 plus hour weeks and it was thinking creatively about how we're going to help save small businesses, how we deliver meals to students who got them from the district, how we created outdoor spaces for people to enjoy when nobody could go anywhere and what we were really doing and, and that, that piece of being dynamic. I think one of the things that I'm grateful for is that I, I am crystal clear on a couple of things. One, I'm resilient. I got that down. I don't need any more lessons in resiliency. I'm pretty sure I got it. The second thing is I am a good wartime leader. I'm decisive. I am calm. I maintain equanimity in the sight of chaos. And I'm able to harness the best of people even when they don't think they can, they can do it. And those lessons were so valuable. And they're really a culmination from my entire career and the things that I've been doing where you're put into situations that here's what you have, what are you going to do with it? And you can retreat or you can go forward. And I really appreciate the, the position I found myself. I'm, I'm honored that I was leading in that time. And it allowed me to see when you give people the agency to really own their piece, how they show up. And so it was a really incredible time. I also, uh, I think I shared with you, uh, my husband is an emergency room doctor. And so our household at that time was facing things that really, you know, he worked for three months without protective gear. And he really had to be part of an entire system that was trying to figure out how do we care for people and ourselves without all of these solutions and we've never done this before 
Luckily, they had gone through some exercises before, so they knew, which was the same thing. My city manager and I had gone through some exercises before with the question of what happens if we can't get to City Hall? How do we do this without that? And so we were fortunate to be in that situation, which allowed us to make decisions and and to really show up. And again, going back to what we've talked about, knowing we were going to make mistakes. We didn't know what we didn't know, and we were making some decisions that who knew? Uh, one of the mistakes that we made is if we hadn't coordinated with another city, uh, we're fortunate to be along the coast. If you close a beach down, what happens? All the neighboring beaches get everybody. So if you're not coordinating that, what happens? Uh, one area gets overloaded while another is closed. So there was just such rich lessons that I'm so grateful for. And uh, it, but if we're being honest, this next round, I really would like to kiss babies, throw those first pitches, and maybe <laughs> cut some ribbons. But, but I'm I'm okay. With, I'm just throwing it out there. I hope I, I hope that. so I, much for you that it is not a not another black swan event. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I I do enjoy throwing a first pitch and opening businesses and cutting ribbons and all of that stuff. So. Let's hope for more of that. <laughs> awesome. All right. So we're going to wrap up here, but there's a, one other subject that I just want to touch quickly on because I know it is um, incredibly important to you. And of course, the, the, the whole country, the whole world, are, we're facing mental health crises and you've had to endure them within your family. Obviously, your resiliency has played a lot in, into this. Um, can you talk a little bit about your views on, you know, mental health, especially in the workplace? And, you know, what are some ways that we can really um, address this? So give us some context and then talk about your viewpoints on this. Sure. Uh, so <clears throat> the the framework under which I operate is first and foremost, going back to uh, that incredible woman who raised me uh, in our household and also because there's a lot of psychiatrists in my family. Uh, mental health was always talked about. So it was known that you never did anything alone, that we all need support. And so it was really an open conversation. There's no shame around it. Uh, I started therapy myself in the seventh grade, and that's because I had disordered eating. Uh, that disordered eating uh, showed up as anorexia for me. And so I, I had been used to therapy support and, and mental health uh, issues. So to me, it seemed very, uh, something that you talked about. What I don't, didn't realize until later is that for most of the world in our country, mental health is stigmatized. It's not talked about, it's not supported. And so that isolation leads to worsening situations. Of course, the pandemic didn't help. And so, uh, while I started my therapy journey in middle school, uh, what happened later is when I had my second child, I had postpartum psychoses. And that, you know, one of the biggest things that I get, and I speak on this topic and I'm a part of organizations that support maternal mental health, the biggest key is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, your religious beliefs, your socioeconomics. Anything can happen to anyone. And postpartum psychosis, postpartum depression, and other mood disorders can affect any birthing person on this planet. And so when we change it to that, and you understand that it could happen to all of us, it starts to take a, a little bit away, hopefully, of the stigma. 
uh, I was fortunate enough that I had support. I had a full team of people from doctors and therapists to individuals. Like at the time, my brother was a bachelor. My mother moved in. All these people pulled in to help me raise my children so that I could get help. And I chose to make it a mission to talk about that. And so I speak to OB guys. I speak to nurses. I speak to uh wellness individuals, to doulas, all anyone that can to share a little bit of my story so that they understand that it happens to any of us and, and what to look for. Further, uh, as you are aware, my sister died by suicide 11 years ago, and that uh, was an event that also really opened my eyes. On paper, my sister was perfect uh, for any qualification that anyone might want. She was an incredibly educated individual. She had an amazing career. She worked for the World Bank and uh, for the UN. She did things like bring drinking water to people who didn't have it and all sorts of things that you would think would make someone, quote unquote, perfect. And when that event occurred, it really changed everything in my life and I also share that openly with lots of people, my own experience with my mental health and what I have endured, as well as my sister's. And um, not to go too much detail into it because I want to give her agency, my older daughter also suffers from depression and has had her own battles. So given that stage, I have found that lots of things in our lives can be helpful, can be fruitful, and can also weigh us down and hurt us. And I think that in 2020, we saw a big change in that people had a lot of issues with the isolation, with the way that we handled the pandemic. I mean, everyone knows the Surgeon's General. He There's an amazing book, uh, and I'm blanking on the title, that he wrote about isolation, how we are the most isolated we've ever been. And of course, Right. When you look at it, if you were an alien coming to the planet, we each live in our boxes next to another box. And then we drive a box that we're in alone next to other people that we do really live that isolate, particularly in America. I shouldn't say globally because there's still lots of village and tribes across the world that have an integrated community. And that isolation has ramifications. We're now seeing the effects of COVID. Uh, particularly with young people. It's probably the highest uh, suicide rates that we've seen ever. And I think there's a there's a thing about how isolated we feel. And all of these things, while they are tragic and they have had a space in our family and we have suffered from losses and what we've endured, they've also been such incredible gifts. Uh, I am who I am today because of the gifts my sister gave me in her life and has given me post her suicide. She's taught me so much about courage and about sharing and love. And that's part of what I bring to being a CEO. When I leave the company, I come with a place for we are all showing up as our whole selves. And if we have something that's weighing us down, if we have tragedies that we are enduring, if we are doing things, we can't ignore them or compartmentalize them. We're actually better colleagues when we embrace them and they become part of us. Because that whole authentic self, whether it's relating to a colleague, whether it's having the grace to come back with something that you don't agree with, but maybe gently, whatever that might be, that's informing us. And it's so critical that's a part of us. And so 
I thank you for the question because uh, I want everyone to know, one, I am here. There is a human on this planet that cares about you. Her name is Velvet. <laughs> if you need to know, I, I have such love in my heart that I, I have enough for all of us. And so anyone out there who, who is feeling like they are isolated and don't have anyone, you do, you have me. And uh, I hope that as we start to get more comfortable with the uncomfortable, we can talk about it, we can bring it forward, and that you can see that it can also give us strength. It can give us that resiliency and the ability to relate better to one another. And maybe you are fortunate enough to have never had loss in your family, in your life. That, that's wonderful. And so please hold the space for those of us who might have and need some of your love and some of your completeness to support us. And so, uh, yeah, that, that topic, as you can see, I have a lot of passion around. Uh, it's been something that has really affected my life, and I'm the better for it. Yeah, that was so beautiful. I have tears in my eyes. You're such a beautiful, wonderful, amazing human being. I love you so much. <laughs> right back at you. I, I am so honored that you are in my life. Um, I think everything that conspired to bring you to it. And yes. Uh, yes. I know I tell people, like, I fiercely hold on to people. Once you're in it, too bad. <laughs> Good. I'm not letting go. Good. Yay. Well, that makes me happy. Well, I we I think we have to end on that. It was so beautifully said and touching. And thank you for sharing your journey and your passion because it is important. And the only way to get past the stigma um, is to talk about it. So you're living proof of it and you are role modeling for all of us. I would like to end with, I appreciate the title of your podcast, Reflecting Forward. Yeah. I think there is such a gift in that you are giving a space and creating the ability for us to learn from incredible individuals. I'm humbled that I'm even a part of this. And I want to thank you for, for that idea, for not just having this platform, but for what you choose to name it and what that inspires in each of us. I mean, way to go. Thank you. It's been such a wild journey, this podcast. And yeah, the name Reflect Forward you know, has deep meaning for me because you know we are who we are. Our past absolutely contribute to who we are, but they don't have to define who we're always going to be in the future. And and you know, you know, I came from a history of addiction, and and I almost didn't make it. And you know, the only reason I'm here today is because I can say that journey got me to where I am. But that's not the person who I'm going to be in the future. But I'm so grateful for it because I learned so much through those darkest moments of being at rock bottom, of 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 understanding what the underbelly, the dark underbelly of life can be like um, for so, so many people on this planet. And uh, so that's why I named it Reflect Forward, because it's what we all need to do, right? We need to honor our past and let it let it shape who we are, but it doesn't have to define who we are going forward. I'm so grateful for you. I'm grateful for you, too. All right. Well, with that, we are going to wrap up. Uh, Velva, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was such a beautiful interview. I appreciate you so much. My privilege and pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hang tight. I'll be right back. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview. She's such an amazing person. I know you had to have gotten so many tidbits and nuggets of goodness out of her story and her journey and her experience share. 
All right. With that, I will leave you for your day. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your week. And I look forward to hosting you on the next episode of Reflect Forward. And if you like this podcast, please write a review, rate it, share it with a friend. It always helps with the algorithms. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. See you next week. 